We have to have our best week of preparation this week. I think that's one of the things that, you know, when we prepare the right way, we go out and perform the right way. Um, I think everybody's locked in on what we got to do to do it. Um, and I think everybody's excited for it. I'm excited. Um, I'm ready to have fun. I think, like I was saying earlier, it's just going to be myself. You know, go go be ourselves. Go just put it on the field. and. Uh, there's nothing, nothing to lose, you know. Like, I mean, there's a lot to lose, but in my mindset, there's nothing to lose. We, we know what to do. We've been in this situation before, um, like we said, so I think we, we trust our process and we know how to prepare for games like this. We've just kind of taken the mindset of it's that we've been in the playoffs. You know, it's been survive and advance or, or win and go home, and it's no different this week. You know, we don't want to rely on anybody else. Um, we got to, you know, in our minds, it's a, it's a must-win game. Good morning, it's a Friday edition of PFT Live. We are on the brink of week 18. There was no game last night. feels weird to still be in football season and not have a Thursday night game. I can only assume that the NFL wants to be sure that one or two teams don't have extra days to get ready for a postseason appearance. I'm surprised, frankly, that the NFL cares about that. There's eyeballs to be harvested. There's money to be made by having a standalone game on Thursday and Friday. We've got two on Saturday. You heard from the quarterbacks of the two teams will square off on Saturday night. Houston Texans, C.J. Stroud, Indianapolis Colts, Gardner Minshew. Winner is in, loser is out. Winner may be the AFC South champion, depending upon what the Jaguars do on Sunday. You heard from Trevor Lawrence as well. You heard from Peter King soon. Peter, I think, had a coffee mishap just as we were getting ready to come on the air. So the moment that he gets that taken care of, we will be joined by Peter King. I'm awaiting word on his arrival. But really, back to my point initially, because I was thinking about this. We do have Peter. I can ask Peter this question. Peter King, first of all, I, I, I hope all is well in your home studio. Second, all is well are except you surprised for the coffee the NF- gone, but I, anyway, yeah. Yeah. Um, Are you surprised that the NFL has surrendered Thursday and even Friday of that final week of the regular season? Oh, I don't know. You're the one who wants to make football a seven day a week obsession. Uh, I want to know how many entries you've written about Wednesday football on Christmas next year. How many? Tell me. Seven. Forty three. Seven. Seven. Oh my God! Twelve, twelve days hey, of Christmas. Listen, I have no, to do, look. I, I, I don't like Peter. Let me say this: I'm not saying it's what I want. I'm just trying to get ready for what's coming. We know what we're dealing with. We're dealing with people who always want more. You give them enough. No, we want more. Okay, you got that. Fine. We want more. Are you happy now? No, we want more. Okay, now are you happy? we want more. So I just see where it's going. I don't, I mean, look, I like being able to watch standalone games. I prefer that to a cluster of 10 games being played at once like we had last Sunday in the 1 o'clock to 4 o'clock Eastern window. But I'm just surprised that folks who have proven time and again there is no limit to their greed would surrender Thursday night in the final week of the season, presumably because they don't want to give somebody a couple extra days to get ready to the playoffs. I'm surprised that that is their deterrent to the possibility of more. 
That's all I'm saying. Well, the only thing I would say about a Thursday game in week 18, the reason why I totally shrug my shoulders is that, especially with the rules now, aren't the rules now if you change a Thursday game late in the year, you got to give it, what, four weeks or something like that? I mean, how in the world are you going to be able to tell in week 18 what game is going to have a scintilla of meaning on December 10th. You can't tell. There's no way you can tell. So I, I, I don't care. Nobody cares that we didn't see, you know, Tennessee and, you know, the Chargers last night. It just, it, it doesn't matter. Who would have watched? We would have watched probably a little bit. We would have talked about it a little bit, but who cares really? You know, so that doesn't oh, bother Peter. me. I would agree with you. I had the shakes what? yesterday. What? I had the shakes because we didn't have football. It's still football season. It's still well, regular and season. You're the one who says, on Thursday night, and you're the one who ball. says, you're the one who says, I don't care. You do care. You want football. You say you're going through withdrawal. You want it mainlined into your arm. Admit it. <laughs> and you want Christmas mainlined too. You do. Here's the thing about Christmas. There's a very easy solution. I wrote about it in my column this week. And for all those people who are going to say, oh, you can't play division games, uh, the same teams can't play division games two weeks in a row. Why? Why? They said you couldn't move the draft out of New York. It's the biggest thing in the NFL's offseason now. Who cares whether it's at Radio City or it's in the middle of downtown Detroit or next year, whether it's in Green Bay, Wisconsin, it's still going to be boffo. And it's the same thing with a Christmas game. Now, look, in my opinion, especially late in the season, a Wednesday Christmas game or a Tuesday Christmas game, that's, that's, a, that's a big ask for teams. So in other words, why don't the previous Wednesday you play the Chargers in Denver I'm sorry, the previous Thursday on Thursday Night Football, you play the Chargers in Denver. And the, the Wednesday after on Christmas Day, you play Denver at the Chargers. And, or whoever, pick two teams. I don't know who they would be. Denver or Detroit, Minnesota. I don't know. Pick two teams that you think have a chance to be competitive and have a chance to be still in this thing late in the year. And make them play back-to-back division games. It's easy. My solution, I think, I ultimately suggested, other than having a very late bye, would be to take six teams and have them play three games the Saturday before Christmas and then reshuffle those teams and have them play three games on Christmas Day. It's the same rest you would get between a Sunday and a Thursday, between a Saturday and a Wednesday. But regardless, regardless, it's more. And they're going to want it. And I know they've said, Hans Schroeder told the Wall Street Journal, I believe, several weeks back, we're not going to play on Christmas when it's on a Tuesday or Wednesday. Okay. Once the owners see there was a 29% jump in traffic from last year to this year, they're going to want to do it, and they're going to change their mind, and they're going to do it because it's more. And that's the point. It's more. Now, how much is too much? I don't know. As Mark Cuban said 10 years ago, pigs get fat and hogs get slaughtered. But you know who got slaughtered on Christmas? The NBA got slaughtered on Christmas by the NFL in their second year of head-to-head, it was worse, far worse than it was in 2022 by way of the gap. So anyway, less is more, more is more. 
Thursday, more. Friday, more. I'm telling you, you didn't you point out that they might start the season next year on a Friday because it falls out of the window when yeah, you but can't so have what? Friday and Saturday games? So what? I'm That's just saying. They, they, Friday this, or this Saturday. Is, they can Thursday, do Friday. Friday or Saturday. They get done it a game tonight. That's, but, but, but here's the thing, Mike. It's different on Friday around Labor Day than it is on Friday in week 18. And there's a very, there's two reasons. Number one, everybody in week 18 is dead. You know, these teams, they don't want to play, they don't want to have inconvenient, inconvenient, very short week football. And in addition, every team that has nothing to play for in week 18 is just going to say, okay, we're going to rest our guys. So who cares? You got Baltimore in week 18. Oh boy. Wow. Let's see Tyler Huntley throw the ball to throw the ball to John Doe. I mean, it's, it's just, who cares? Whereas in week one, if you play on Friday, teams have not played at that point. The third preseason game was two weeks earlier. That's number one. And then each of those teams is going to get another mini buy, you know, before they have to play in week two. It's it, there's no downside to playing on Friday or Saturday in week one. All I know is bad football is still better than no football. There's money to be made. There's millions to be gathered of viewers. And I'm just surprised. But, they but Mike, gone there. Mike, already really, seen them. they've already, I, I they've already gone, to they've gone to Saturday. They've gone to Saturday. On week 18, I never thought they'd break games out and play them on Saturday, and they're doing it. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You can can say, though, on Saturday, three of those four teams definitely have something to play for. Okay? So, I mean, those games mean something. How do you schedule a game on Thursday of week 18 in May? And then give yourself until December 10th, four weeks earlier, December 8th, whatever it'd be. How do you do that? You can't do it. And you say bad you know football is better you know than no football. I know how you do it. I, I'm telling you. I, how? I know how you do it. You just do it. They do what they want to do. Tell me. You change the rules. Change the rules. You just change the rules. You decide when you're going to drop a team on a Thursday night. You're going to do it two weeks before. You're going to do it the Sunday before. Sorry, hey, we've already decided there's no greater it's risk insane. of injury. It's I know. insane. But that's it's where insane. The, the puck is moving. It's insane. The puck is if moving they do toward it, the if goal. If they do it, a pox on insanity. their house. A pox on their house, and I hope that they end up really paying for it. And, and I don't mean that I hope somebody gets hurt, but I hope in some way, I hope in some way they end up really paying for it because it's stupid, it's short-sighted, and, you know, it, it just, you, you can only ask people, human beings, so much. And, and look, I, I, they're, at, they're asking enough. My point about playing a game on Christmas is that it's, it's, relatively speaking, meaningless, other than robbing people of a sacred holiday. It's, it's you know, if you, if you already have to play one short week game, if you already have to play one Thursday game, then you schedule two division teams to play on that Thursday, okay? And then the next Wednesday on Christmas, you schedule them just at the different home site. 
All I'm saying is there are ways to handle this. There are ways to play a game on Christmas. I, I, I don't know. Three games. I mean, come on. And you, and you talk about turning around a game from Saturday to Wednesday like it's so easy and all that. But late in the season, six teams doing that, six teams, I, you know, it's just it's too much. It's too much. Well, it's never too much. Too much is never enough, as someone once said. This is the NFL that we cover. This is the league we deal with. It's always about more. Who would have dreamed they'd have late season flexing of Thursday night football? That was ludicrous. You spoke out loudly about it. I spoke out loudly about it. There were enough owners. There were enough owners who were against it that they had to table it. And what happened? What happened? The commissioner twisted enough arms to get enough votes because that's what he wanted. He wanted more. So that's the point, Peter. As long as you want more, as long as NFL equal M-O-R, you're going to see this kind of stuff. And I'm trying to help people get ready for it because more is coming. Whatever form, whatever fashion, more is coming. And see, if they'd have just played a game last night, we wouldn't have spent the first 15 minutes of the show talking about why they didn't play a game last night. No, you know what we would have been talking about? How idiotic it was to play a game on Thursday night, either with two teams that had nothing to play for or one team that had something to play for playing a bunch of John Doe's who were sitting all their guys. It, it, it makes well, no sense. It makes no sense. Go to bed early. Get ready for the show. Do something different. You don't need football on Thursday in week 18. We are going to have one of those teams playing a standalone spot on Saturday, the Baltimore Ravens with nothing to play for, resting most of their guys, and we're still going to watch. We're still going to tune in, and we're going to watch because the other team, the Steelers. Well, that's because one team is playing for its playoff life. Yeah. Right. right. So if they would have played that game last night, would have been just as interesting, even though the Ravens would have been the how other team. How would you so, have uh, done? Look, wait a minute. Point is, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I don't care about the how. Wait a minute. They just wait a do it. I don't care about the there how. They is, do what they want to do. Oh, That's okay. my point, so Peter. You tell, they do what they want to do. You want to tell Mike Tomlin, you want to tell Mike Tomlin and John Harbaugh on Sunday night. Oh, by the way, you're playing on Thursday. That's idiotic. I don't it's know. It's just not, I, it's listen. not smart. It's not fair. Don't it's just stop. Stop advancing Peter, these my theories that are nonsensical. Here's my point. I don't put anything past them. That's my point. That's why I'm surprised they're not grabbing everything they but can grab. But you were talking like it's a they good idea. Grab everything they can grab. You're, talk, you're talking well, like it's a liked good to idea. Seen the game That's last what you're night. doing. I would have liked Yeah, if, you, you know would what? have. If we put a poll it, on Twitter. But, and I will put a poll on Twitter. Would you have watched the game last night? Do or it. Or did you miss that there wasn't a game last night? Of course. Right. Of course they would have said that. Should then they? ask, would you have watched a game? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Ask, would you have watched a game between Tennessee and the Chargers? Ask. Ask that question. Yeah. Just ask that. And see what people right. say. Now, if people say, yes, right I would have watched. I've underestimated the stupidity of American football fans. So, you know, that, then I'm wrong. But if you just say, Chargers, would you have wanted to see a football game Chargers. last night? Of course people are going to say this. Of course they will. Yeah. All right. Anyway, anyway, it's been a fun discussion. It's a great way to start the new year. This is what this is about. Organic debate. We don't plan to 
take different views on things, and we don't very often. My core point, though, is we're dealing with a multi-billion dollar business that has a specific revenue goal in mind that the commissioner wants to get to before he walks off into the sunset, if he ever does, and it's all about more. That's it. More. All right. Sunday night, the season will end with the Buffalo Bills at the Miami Dolphins. High stakes for both teams. If the Dolphins lose, there'll be a wild card going on the road. If they win, they'll be the number two seed. If the Bills win, they'll be the number two seed. If they lose, they could miss the playoffs altogether if both the Jaguars beat the Titans and the Steelers beat the Ravens, which are both expected to happen if the betting line means anything. So, big, big scenarios here for both teams. The idea, Peter, that the Buffalo Bills could go from the number two seed all the way to out of the playoffs is amazing. That's the kind of drama you want to have woven into Week 18. Now, we'll know the stakes by the time the game starts, but if these Jaguars and Steelers games go the way that we think they should, the stakes for the Bills will be number two versus out, and for the Dolphins, we know it's number two versus number six. Huge difference heading into the playoffs, which begin the following week. You know, the amazing thing to me, Mike, is that, you know, I'm sure everybody at NBC rejoiced when it was Buffalo at Miami uh, as game 272. I would have rejoiced too. It was the only decision to make. But, and look, once it became apparent that, the Pittsburgh Steelers were going to play the JV team in Baltimore on Saturday. Like, we're going to have our upset picks later in the show. I'm picking Tennessee to win that game outright. And, you know, for a lot of reasons, two of them being Mike Vrabel and Derrick Henry. But be that as it may, it would be an incredible slap in the face, both to the NFL and to NBC, if the outcome is determined before the game is played and all of a sudden the Buffalo Bills are playing for pride at 8.50, 8.20 on Sunday night. But they're still playing for the two-seed versus wild card. Even if, even if the Jaguars or the Steelers lose, there's still stakes here between number two seed and yes. winning the division and going on the road in the playoffs. The one way that this becomes the the most high-wire possibility for the Bills is if both the Jaguars and the Steelers win. That is what NBC presumably will be rooting for because that increases the drama for the Bills. But either way, either way, it's two versus six or two versus six or seven, depending upon which team wins. We had that epic game 2019, I think the last game of the regular season, one seed versus five seed between the Seahawks and the 49ers. Yep. Went down to the wire. Huge difference. Now, there's no buy-in play here, but up to two home games in the playoffs versus probably zero games in the playoffs. The only way the six seed is going to host a game in the playoffs is if the seven seed goes on a tear, and it's six versus seven for the conference championship. So either way... Nothing is going to be set. The only thing that makes this better is if both the Steelers and Jaguars win and the Bills are looking at number two or go home. Yeah, I think my point about the Jags-Titans game 
was that this is, to me, a real game. You would think, going into the game, that it was a competitive uh, walkover for the Jags because Tennessee doesn't have anything to play for. Did you see, Mike, did you see the video clip of Mike Vrabel this week talking about how it is bad to lose? I guess I can say it sucks yes. to lose. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. But yes, but, yes, different but, yeah, word that I ends with UCK because, that he because said. Because other yeah. other words have been said. Yes, but yeah. but but the point is, the point is that that game all of a sudden is is interesting, and I guess you know smart money uh, for not having anything to do with the line on the game. Smart money would say that most people would think Jacksonville is going to win. And and I don't know what most people would think of the Baltimore-Pittsburgh game, but I'll take Pittsburgh playing for something over Baltimore just wanting to get out healthy. I, I just, I, I think that the Steelers, who beat them early in the year anyway, it, it, you know, it's it's always a competitive game no matter what the, you know, the, what's on the line. I, I, I just think Baltimore uh, is going to have trouble winning that game. But I think it comes down to, I mean, can you imagine Buffalo sitting in their hotel early on on Sunday? That is an early game. Is that a 1 o'clock game? Or is that a 425 yes. game, the Tennessee-Jacksonville game? Tennessee-Jacksonville, 1 o'clock Imagine them game. monitoring. Yeah, 1 o'clock. They're going to be watching that game. And imagine them going to the stadium with the two outcomes that they dread. I, I don't know, Mike. It'd be it'd be pretty interesting. How, I, I'll, I'll ask you this question: How would Buffalo react to the worst possible situation? I mean, look in their mind. I would assume, and a lot of it's cliche driven. In their mind, they're going there to be the number two seed, and that's all we can control. And we'll know ahead of time whether it's two versus we're not making the playoffs at all or two versus the safety net of being the sixth seed or the seventh seed. That's not, you know, that's not a great outcome anyway. It's better than not making the playoffs, but we want the two seed. We're going there to win, and we want to come out of there with the two seed. And for the Bills to even have that possibility of being the number two seed in their grasp, when we look at all the crap they've gone through this year, and I talked yesterday about the timing of bottoming out. Some teams are bottoming out too late to really turn it around like maybe the Eagles the Chiefs are starting to turn it around after they bottomed out on Christmas Day against the Raiders the Bills bottomed out really with that Monday night game against the Broncos and they fired Ken Dorsey the next day and then when the 20,000 word negative item about Sean McDermott came out Russell Douglas told me on Sunday after his two-pick performance against the Patriots that Sean McDermott addressed the team after that article came out, and that's the, mo- that's the moment it turned. Like, who would have dreamed that they'd turn it around after that low point and be in position to get the number two seed? It almost feels inevitable that given where they've come from, given what they've done, and given that the Dolphins were just embarrassed in Baltimore, it feels inevitable that the Bills are going to win that game. Now, of course, that probably means the Dolphins will win it. But I don't think they're residing in that notion of worst-case scenario. I think they know the brass ring is right there, and all they got to do is grab it. And look, Mike, you know, 
I think in some ways that it'd be better for the Bills because then they would play as total desperados. Maybe they would anyway. But wouldn't they play as total desperados to say now, okay, we're not in the playoffs. We have to win to be in the playoffs. So in some ways, those two outcomes, Jacksonville winning, Pittsburgh winning, in some ways would be almost an ideal world for the motivational side of this game. And, you know, the one other thing I would look at with this game, Mike, is that honestly, the way it's been set up, I think, by the NFL in terms of the scheduling is pretty cool because you have one shoe to drop on Saturday night. You have another shoe to drop Sunday at one o'clock. And then you have the third shoe to drop on Sunday night. So, you know, the AFC playoff picture is being stretched out and dramatized over about a 32-hour period instead of everybody, everything being decided in six and a half hours on Sunday afternoon. So I think in that way, it's kind of a fun thing. And look, Mike, you and I may agree on this anyway, um, that... The Buffalo Bills are 8-1 and one in their last nine games against Miami. Miami is a little bit wounded right now, obviously. If they play this game on, you know, November 7th instead of January 7th, it's probably an entirely different prospect because the two biggest threats to rush the passer, Jalen Phillips and Bradley Chubb, are gone. And, you know, Vic Fangio is going to have to find some way to scheme up and to make, and people laugh at this, but, you know, Andrew Van Ginkle better be the defensive player of the week this week in the AFC because there is a lot of pressure on him to be incredibly disruptive in this game with the loss of Chubb, uh, obviously with the loss of Chubb and, and, and Jalen Phillips. So I think that is a huge factor in the game. And I think Buffalo has a pretty big advantage as to win this game ultimately was scheduled. By the way, even though it goes back a minute or two, when you say desperado, I can't pass on the opportunity to point out I almost slipped into a trance like Brett, the Carl Farbman aficionado from Seinfeld, who would stop any time that song came on the radio to the dismay of his short-time girlfriend, Elaine. Everybody's girlfriend or boyfriend was short-time on Seinfeld, except for Susan, who died from licking the poison envelopes. Now, as to Bradley Chubb, I want to know your take on this. I I want to know your take on this. Uh, Chubb was in the game when it was 49-19, and he suffered that torn ACL. I mean, is it... it, I, I, I think that this is one of the reasons why the 49ers and the Ravens are saying, whoa, 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 let's, let's protect our guys. We've just seen what can happen. I mean, look, you still have to have guys on the field. You have to play out the game. Is it fair to criticize the Dolphins, to criticize Coach Mike McDaniel for having Chubb in the game down 30 points with just garbage time, and then there goes the, the ACL, and you've lost one of your best pass rushers, your only best remaining pass rusher for the balance of the season? I think it's fair. Um, But on the other hand, 
when exactly do you take them out and how many do you take out and you can't take everyone out. You don't have enough players to take all of your starters out. And again, I totally understand that Bradley Chubb is one of your five to eight most important players, not most important defensive players, most important players, particularly after the loss of Jalen Phillips. So Mike, you could hear it in Mike McDaniel's voice after the game. You could read the transcript of his quotes. He was second guessing himself for having Chubb in the game. And, you know, I don't think it's worth it to, you know, totally rake him over the coals. But in my opinion, Mike McDaniel coming into this offseason is going to write on this what I've learned checklist board that he'll have, um, you know, if the game is out of reach with seven or eight minutes to go, you have to empty the bench. And I'm sure this morning, if you asked him about it, you gave him sodium pentothal, he would say, I regret it. You know, I'll be really, hey, Mike, you know what? I'll be interested to see what happens. And, you know, I guess it would be out already, right? What, what, what what, What was said on hard knocks this week? Because clearly that'd be a matter for, uh, for him to address on hard knocks. But Mike McDaniel's a smart guy. I think he's going to learn from this. It's an obviously an incredibly bitter lesson, but there's nothing they can do about now except try to find some way to beat Buffalo on Sunday. I caught up on hard knocks earlier this week while I was working, and there wasn't anything that made me say, oh, wow, oh, that's significant. There wasn't anything new there. It may have just been something. You saw this week. After the game. I can't yeah. remember, but it didn't. Yeah, they because they Tuesday night's episode, they, they do a good job of turning it around quickly. So they had all that in there, and they had Bradley Chubb getting injured. I just can't remember how far they went down that rabbit hole of maybe Mike McDaniel yeah. should have done this. I don't remember that there was any quiet moment where McDaniel and Vic Fangio or anyone else were huddling saying, boy, that was really stupid that we did that. I just don't remember that. If it happened, I was focused on writing another article about you know, playing Christmas games on Wednesday or something like that, and I wasn't paying close attention to uh, to what was on <laughs> Hard Knocks at the time. Um, all right, so uh, let's move on to the earlier game that you alluded to. And there's a fundamental difference in my mind between a team that is resting its starters and a team that has nothing to play for by way of postseason consequence because you still have something to play for. You have pride to play for. You have the opportunity to spoil things for a division rival, and Week 18 consists exclusively of games within the same division. Jaguars at Titans, the game that will, for the Jaguars, if they win, deliver the AFC South Championship after they lost four games in a row, got it back on track last week with C.J. Beathard in for Trevor Lawrence in that game against the Panthers that got David Tepper sufficiently upset to throw his drink on someone. Trevor Lawrence back now from that shoulder injury, most likely. But the Titans, you mentioned it. Mike Vrabel, Derrick Henry, likely, if not definitely, his last game with the Titans. Ryan Tannehill, who probably will not be playing unless Will Levis gets injured again. Levis has returned to practice. Who knows if he'll be ready to go on Sunday. And maybe they'll just protect Will Levis. Maybe they'll give Ryan Tannehill one last, one last go as the quarterback of the Titans before he walks away to whichever team's going to sign him next year. But 
Yeah, even though it looks on paper like the Titans don't care. Of course they care. It's a home game. They're ending the season. It's Mike Vrabel. He's never going to lay down for anyone under any circumstances, Peter. Mike Vrabel is the perfect guy to be playing this game if you want a competitive football game with a team trying to win a division against a team that is out of it. It's exactly like what happened last year in game 272 when the Detroit Lions had nothing to play for even though their end was sudden and the Tennessee Titans end has been gradual and somewhat precipitous. But the two coaches in charge of these two teams, Dan Campbell last year with Detroit going into Green Bay and winning that game against a favored Packer team, and this year, Mike Vrabel coaching at home and, and uh, you know, against the uh, uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. I, I just think this is a perfect setup for Vrabel, and he's going to use it, and he's going to get his players to play hard. And, Mike, look, You know, we probably have talked about this. I think we have. But I just look at this game, and I look at Derrick Henry in what likely is his last game. At some point, the Tennessee Titans, unless he takes, you know, 32 cents on the dollar in a one-year contract with Tennessee, and I've got to believe somebody out there would want Derrick Henry you know, even at age 30 to come and play for them next year. But be that as it may, Derrick Henry has to know that this is, there's a very good chance this is last game in Nashville as a member of the Titans. So I do not underestimate what that means. A power back, one of the last power backs really ever in the NFL. And I think, the physical nature of Mike Vrabel and Derrick Henry, I think is going to carry them Sunday. I don't know. I like Tennessee in this game. Well, and think of the closing argument that Derrick Henry makes to the rest of the league as teams are beginning to compile their targets for free agency, who they want to pay, who they don't want to pay, who they want on their team, who they don't want on their team. If he could have one of those turn-back-the-clock days, and I'm looking at his rushing totals he still has a thousand yards this year quietest thousand yard season of his career now he's not going to have anything close to the 1500 that we've come to uh to know from him he had two out of three years three out of four or two out of four years uh three let me try that again three out of four years 1500 or more rushing yards which is just amazing and he had 2000 back in 2020 but still he he's got gas in the tank and he's going to want to go somewhere next year. And this is his chance to have a big game and get everyone's attention and get people to say, maybe we should pay a 30-year-old running back you know, something more than the league minimum to come in and, and supercharge our running game. Even if he's not the guy who gets the ball all the time anymore, he's still somebody who, when he has the ball in his hands, can be very dangerous. So I like that wrinkle. I hadn't really thought about it when we did our picks podcast yesterday. I don't know that I would have changed my mind because we saw Jaguars-Titans last year with both teams trying to get to the playoffs and the Jaguars found a way to win. But still, this whole Vrabel angle, Derrick Henry, the possibility of Ryan Tannehill playing, and he's definitely out in Tennessee after this year. I kind of of agree with your reasoning, and we'll see what happens on Sunday. On Saturday, 
a game that is going to be impactful in the race for the postseason in the AFC. The Texans and the Colts. Winner gets at least a wild card berth. Loser is out. If the Jaguars lose, the winner of Saturday night's game will be the number four seed and the AFC South champion. Of course, the the reward for that is hosting the Browns in the wild card round. But just get there first and then worry about the Browns coming to town afterward. Texans Colts, a great game for Saturday night. It's got it's got consequences and it gives a national audience, Peter, their first look. Better late than never at C.J. Stroud. And, you know, I saw the, the, the note online yesterday that it seems impossible in this day and age, but this is the, uh, basically the, you know, the first game all year. I guess other than their, their one game on Thursday night this year, um, this is the first game this year that, they have not played Sunday at one o'clock and you know, so it'd be great for America to see CJ Stroud and look, Mike, there's one other thing. And I know only, you know, award nerds like me will think of this, but I think this is gone from the offensive rookie of the year being CJ Stroud's award to in the last month, I think Puka Nakua might have inched ahead of him. And I, either that, but it, it, at the very least, it's a competitive race. This is a chance on national TV for C.J. Stroud to make his closing argument. And again, I realize that C.J. Stroud hears that. He's probably rolling his eyes. But, you know, at some point, you know, on NFL Honors Thursday before the Super Bowl when he's walking the red carpet and picking up the hardware, he's going to be pretty happy he won Offensive Rookie of the Year, if indeed he does. But I do think that's one other part of this game that kind of interests me. And the honestly, Mike, I think the other part is every game, really, for Gardner Minshew is a prove-it game. And, you know, if Gardner Minshew can beat the great C.J. Stroud... And to beat that that oppressive, at times anyway, Houston defense, uh, it's a plus in his column too. And it just puts him on the road to perhaps getting a better job next year. The, the, the only one thing I would say about the fact that, it, it, you know, the, about what Indianapolis is playing for here too, I think that in many ways, the team that Chris Ballard wanted to build is a team that can win and be a playoff team regardless of instability at quarterback. And I think it would be a point of pride for this Indianapolis organization if somehow, some way, they made the postseason in any way that they could, if they made the postseason without having their pride and joy heir-to-the-throne quarterback, Anthony Richardson, for 85% of this year. And, you know, I think that whoever wins this game, their coach becomes, and I'm struggling with this, and the AP doesn't want us to say what our final decisions are going to be until after the season is over, and I get that. I mean, right now, 
it's tough to not pick Kevin Stefanski as coach of the year when you consider what he's done right. and what that team has endured by way of four different starting quarterbacks in this rebirth of Joe Flacco and the defense is dominant because Stefanski hired Jim Schwartz to come in and run it, assuming that he's the one that made that decision. Sometimes it's organizational. But Shane Steichen of the Colts, D'Amico Ryans of the Texans. The Texans are the one team that I think if we would have done a poll of this before the season, they'd be the first team we'd identify in the AFC as having no chance of making the playoffs. And here they are on the brink Correct. of making the playoffs. Absolutely it, right. Ryan's, to me, until we saw this late season Joe Flacco thing in Cleveland, Ryan's, to me, was coach of the year if the Texans made it to the playoffs. And now, even if they make it, it's going to be tough. But I think between the two... Steichen or Ryans, whoever wins his game on Saturday night, is at least second on the ballot, if not first on the ballot for Coach of the Year. Yeah, and Mike, Mike, I think you could you could look at it in this way. <clears throat> Let's say, for the sake of argument, Houston wins this game. What's a bigger shock? Houston winning 10 or Cleveland winning 11 or 12? Houston winning 10 is the biggest shock in in the NFL this year and it's not even close for what's what's number two so I think a vote for D'Amico Ryans is fair correct I I don't I don't mind it at all a vote for Bobby Slowick is very fair for the assistant coach of the year too and look there's a lot of great candidates for that assistant coach award but this this game's important for a lot of reasons and again I know nobody wants to hear the awards, but Mike, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's going to have a bearing on the vote that I turn in, you know, as as one of the AP voters. It's going to have a bearing on my vote uh, that I'll give them next whatever Tuesday or Wednesday. And to address your point about the Browns going into the season, I said the Browns are the biggest wild card this year because we didn't know how Deshaun Watson was going to look after only playing six games last year and zero games the year before that. We just really didn't know how this was going to work. There weren't clear expectations for the Browns. So if you told me before the season they're going to win 11 games, I'd say, okay, that's that's not nuts. That's not crazy. I can see them win 11 games. But I don't think anybody saw them win 11 games the way they won the 11 games with Deshaun Watson in and out of the lineup, and then it's P.J. Walker, and then it's Dorian Thompson-Robinson, and then it's Joe Flacco off the couch November 20. He wasn't signed to the practice squad until November 20, and they've caught lightning in a bottle late in the season to get to 11 wins and create this vibe that they're ready to go to the playoffs and kick ass when they get there. That's what, that's what gives Kevin Stefanski the context that I think gives him a little edge over Steichen or Ryan, depending upon what happens Saturday night. One point about Offensive Rookie of the Year, because I agree with you, Puka Nakua, if he gets 29 receiving yards on Sunday, and Sean McVay said it without saying it earlier this week, they're going to leave him in long enough to do something special. 29 yards, and he breaks the record that goes all the way back to Bill Groman of the Houston Oilers in 1960 that it's just amazing to me that all the great receivers we've seen over the years super bowl era high flying nfl once they changed the rules in the 70s and they started to relax it and make it easier still holding that record with 1473 receiving yards as a rookie bill groman and we told some of his story yesterday peter i don't know if you're aware of this guy was was a teacher he was teaching eighth grade math and 
and like a friend said, let's go have a catch. And they had a catch. And this friend was friends with the guy who was going to be the coach of the Houston Oilers. And he called him up and said, I may have something for you here. That's how he got into pro football. It's just amazing. He played at Heidelberg for crying out loud. So what a story. And I think that it's a great occasion. I'm going to write something about it today. It's a great story that, that that record from a guy who is for 99.9999% of football fans, not even a known name, not even forgotten. It just was never even on their radar screen that that record still stands and it might not stand after Sunday. And it's an opportunity to appreciate what Bill Groman did and how it stood the test of time for 63 years. I think I would just say two things about Bill Groman, 1,473 yards and all that. And I hate to say this because it minimizes uh, somebody. I, you know, it's, it's, I'm going to minimize both things. Number one, I would like to see what the first year of the American Football League was like. You know, uh, I, guys being picked out of English classes. and guys, so, so, again, I don't know that, that good tape exists about 1960 and the AFL when 8,000 people went to some of the games. I, I, so again, there's that. And then there's also this. The AFL records count in the NFL. And what I've always thought was totally unfair is that the AFL records count in the NFL, but the All-America Football Conference records don't. I mean, why is that? All-America Football Conference, I could argue, was a better brand of football than the early days of the AFL, or or at least the equal of it. So the four years of the AAFC from 46 to 49, it's like it never happened, you know? But there's one other part of this, Mike, one other part of this. And that is Puka Nakua would be doing it in 17 games. And, and again, I am not minimizing what Puka Nakua is doing. I might vote for him for, defense, for Offensive Rookie of the Year. But the way the league has worked the schedule now, <clears throat> it's just different. Records should be maybe not asterisk, but it should be at least noted that if you play 17 games and break a record, it should be at least noted that you played more games than the guy who had played in a 14 or a 16 game season, or for that matter, a 12 game season three generations ago. But you know, when they went from 14 to 16, that was never a conversation. When Eric Dickerson broke OJ Simpson's record, it was never even brought up. He had two extra games. That's what's odd because it is relevant, but the number of games is the number of games. It's relevant. It's 14 I'm not games saying it should, for Bill it Groman. I agree. It's relevant. I agree. I agree. Listen to this from Bill Groman. 14 games, 1,473 yards. That is 105.2 yards per game. And he did it almost the next year, too. He had another 1175. In two seasons, he averaged 94.5 yards per game over two seasons. And he had 29 receiving touchdowns in 28 games. It really is incredible. And, and, and I share your curiosity and what it all looked like and what the quality of the players were. But still, it was a level of dominance relative to the competition. I mean, all you can do is compete relative to the competition. It was a level of dominance 
that yeah. we haven't seen from a rookie receiver since then. And I don't think we're ever going to see somebody average 105.2 yards per game. Although, as I say that, somebody probably will next year. Marvin Harrison Jr. will probably average 105.3 yards. But Calvin Johnson did it. Did what? I mean, I don't know. Calvin Johnson probably did. I don't know what he, he must have. Well, I mean, a rookie. I mean, a rookie. That year. Oh, a rookie. Yeah. A rookie. He had yeah. 1,900. And, yeah, I'm talking about a rookie doing it. Not I, A guy straight into the NFL and average over 100 yards per game receiving would be incredible. All right, uh, let's take a break. We're going to flip it over to the NFC. Some of the big games that stand out for the final week of the regular season. PFT Live returns right after this.